All right, if you could turn with me in your Bible to the book of Acts and chapter number four, please, here this morning, Acts chapter four. I just want to say I'm really excited about what's going to be happening in these ne- over these next several days, and uh, there are a variety of reasons why I'm excited. Uh, one of the reasons is I'm really looking forward to some of the competitions that we're going to be having. I am a part of every one of your, uh, your team WhatsApp groups, you may have noticed that, and I love the hype. Okay, I do have to say the hype is a little bit bigger in some of the groups than in other groups. I won't mention which groups are which, but man, there are some groups there have been hype happening for weeks and like, wow, that's awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing how that translates onto the field. It could not translate at all. The hyped team might totally fall flat on their face. I don't know. Um, but uh, anyway, I'm looking forward to, to seeing the competitive aspect of the week. I'm really looking forward, honestly, uh, to uh, the two new competitions, brand new competitions. I'm looking forward to that tube tug. Let me talk to you about that for a second, okay? I'm not preaching yet, but I almost am, okay? <laughs> We're going to be doing Tube Tug Cold War, where the objective is not to score points for yourself. It is to sabotage the other team. You say, how does that work, Mr. Bosler? You know how normally you're trying to drag the tube to your line? In this one, you don't want the tube to hit your line. So every tube that goes to your team's line, you in essence lose a point, so that totally flips the strategy. Now you're trying to get it to the other team's lines, okay? There's all kinds of opportunities for ganging up on other teams. Oh man, it totally changes the whole thing. I'm really looking forward to how that works and hoping nobody dies in the process. Um, The other one, uh, the, the new version of Big Ball Basketball, we're calling it Divide and Conquer. Okay, picture this. Three basketball hoops set out on the field. Okay, eight quadrants where team members are. You're going to have one quadrant for your guys, one quadrant for your girls. Okay, so the girl, we're actually going to get to see how you girls actually do in big ball basketball, because I know how it is. You girls are in the back sometimes, and whenever the ball comes near you, you scream, you scatter, the ball hits the ground. No, those are girls on the road. That's not BCM girls. I really am looking forward to seeing who I should have on my team next summer. (laughs) No. There's a lot I'm looking forward to. Of course, I'm looking forward to the competitive aspect to see if Marine takes it again this year. You do realize, Marine, that the War Max has only been won by Marines heretofore. We've only had one year to do it, but okay, we'll see if they can carry on the streak or if they totally botch it. You just watch right out of the gate. Everybody's going to be gunning for Marines this year. I'm not saying that's what should happen. I'm just saying I, I've seen these things before. Uh, you try to knock them down a peg. Of course, more than all of that, uh, more than the competition aspect, I'm really looking forward to seeing what God does in our hearts. And, and I want you to know, I, I would imagine that from your standpoint, it'd be really easy to, uh, to think that the main spiritual activity that's going to take place this week is going to be that which takes place through the preaching and through the preachers. And while absolutely 
I would agree with that thought in this sense that it's the foolishness of preaching that God uses to confront our wrong thinking. Uh, I mentioned this in the podcast this last weekend, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And oftentimes the way we hear the word of God is through the preaching of the word of God. And I'm really looking forward to hearing Brother Miller. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing the sermons that I have yet to write for the Youth Summit. Um, And um, I shouldn't have said that out loud, Pastor Zemple. Um, But I'm really looking forward to seeing how God uses Dr. Jim and others who are going to be speaking to challenge every last one of us. But I want you to understand, young people, that your ministry this week is just as important as the ministry of those that are coming. Now, listen, like what Pastor Swanson said is absolutely right. God wants to target you this week. He wants to talk to you. He wants to challenge you. In fact, freshmen, okay, can I challenge you? Just be a part of the Youth Summit this week. Receive everything that God has for you to receive, um, but also recognize that you're in kind of a weird uh, no man's land where we really want you to benefit from this youth summit, just like anyone who's coming and attending, but also recognize freshmen um, that you also have a testimony. You also have a, a ministry aspect as well. Um, but, you know, I, I say all that to say that when it comes to this week, we can stand up and we can preach the ideals of the generation, which I think we all know them, right? It's kind of two main points, kind of three. What's the first one? It's total surrender, good, and total dependence, why? To reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? I think we understand, and I think every last one of us here in this room, we would agree with those three important pillars of what it means to be a part of the generation, frankly, what it means to be a part of BCM, frankly, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And and I know all of us, um, we would say, man, we're looking forward to hearing this priest. We're going to be praying right along with you. You know, uh, if you're a squad leader, you know, you're praying that those in your squad will understand this, that they'll make decisions of surrender, that they will take steps of faith this week, that they'll yield to God for his plan for them, however he would have them. Turn the world upside down with the gospel. But did you know that we can, all of us, we can preach the truth of this. And we can pray for God to do the work in others. But if we ourselves are not living it, we're hypocrites. I ask you to turn with me to Acts chapter 4. And I want to talk to you about something the Lord put on my heart here for today. Really, I, I was thinking about how can I best equip the BCM student body to effectively minister this week at the The Generation Youth Summit. And, and as much as I hate to say it, my mind came to this passage here today. I say hate to say it. You say, what do you mean hate to say it? If you know your chapter content. You might know where I'm going, okay? Some of you say, I just got my chapter content list last week. Anyway, um, let's begin reading verse number 32 of chapter 4 here. This is the middle of uh, a narrative of what's happening here in this chapter. It says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that uh, neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. 
For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. One of the things you get from this section of the scripture is that there was a cultural phenomenon that was going on there at the church, the, the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. What was happening is these folks were exhibiting what God said his disciples would exhibit, and that is love. They were concerned far and above their concerns for their own good and their own benefit and their own needs, and they began to see the needs and, and the wants and and the necessities of those around them and what began to happen because they were filled with a spirit and the love of God was being born as a fruit in these new believers' lives, they began to cause that love to demonstrate itself in financial sacrifice. Okay, what you find is these folks, they cared so much about one another, uh, there was this trend that began to develop. They began to sell their own things. They began to take their own financial resources and, oh, you need money on your school bill? Well, here you go. Hey, you over here, you need a new suit? Well, here you go. Here's some money. And they began to um, sacrifice. There began to be a culture of sacrifice for the good of others with in the local church. And at the end of this section, it highlights one man, a famous man, really in the narrative of the book of Acts. This man, Barnabas, is what we typically call him. And this man, he had some land. Which land is a very, uh, very important thing. I would imagine uh, Barnabas was a pretty wealthy guy for having this land, and yet Barnabas was so filled with the love of Jesus Christ, he was so concerned for the goods of those around him, he was willing to take a very precious resource and sacrifice it, get rid of it, sell it, and it he took all of the money, and he brought it to the apostles, and he said, here, this is for the needs of the needy here in our midst. So, we find here from this passage, folks were getting used to sacrifice. In fact, the very fact that Barnabas here, that highlights him in the text, to me, seems to imply a couple things. I think it seems to imply that because of what was happening, because so many people were sacrificed and in a certain sense giving much, if not all, of their worldly goods for the good of others, I would imagine there began to form a little bit of a social pressure to sacrifice. Think about it. If everyone around you is giving maybe any excess monies, anything above and beyond that which they need. If everyone around you was sacrificing for other people, don't you think you would probably begin to feel a little bit of a social pressure to sacrifice yourself? I think that's a little bit of what was happening because everybody was doing it. Everybody was feeling like, well, maybe I ought to do this too. But to, to maybe make a second point, I think there was also a social honor that was beginning to develop for sacrifice. I'm sure that whenever people talked about Barnabas and what they did, I'm sure there was a glint in everybody's eyes. Did you hear about Barney? 
Did you hear about that huge chunk of money he gave? He gave all of it for the needs. Oh, man, Barnabas is a spiritual guy. Oh, man, Barnabas was, I don't know, given the nicest seat probably when they all gathered to worship. Everybody had a good thing to say about Barnabas. And I know that Barnabas didn't do it for that reason. Barnabas didn't do it for the social honor that it got him. However, I'm sure with there being a social pressure, for sacrifice and for there being a social honor that you'd get for sacrificing. It was a unique setting and a unique set of circumstances that leads us into chapter five. When you get to chapter five and verse number one, you find a very tragic story. It says, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. Now, it doesn't say what this possession was. I let my holy imagination go a little bit. I think it was a cow. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't a cow. Maybe it was a building. I don't know. Maybe it was a 1965 Chevy. I don't know. I don't know all the different kinds, okay? I don't know what it was, but whatever this thing was, evidently, it was pretty valuable. And it says that they sold a possession. And the implication that we get from this is that they sold the possession because they wanted to give some of the money for that possession to the church. Why did they want to do that? I would submit because of two things. Because there was a social, um, there was a social pressure to give because everyone around them was doing it. And there was a social honor to sacrifice. And so Anna and Sapphira, they thought, we want in on this. So they took whatever this was, whether it was a grand piano, whether it was a cow, whether it was a horse, whether it was a camel, whether it was a building, whether it was a piece of land, whatever it was, it says here, they took it and they sold the possession and, verse 2, kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, there's a couple of things you need to understand about this. Um, you need to understand why they were doing this. Why did they sell the land? They sold the land because they wanted the money. Why did they want the money? Because they wanted to give the money. Why did they want to give the money? Because they wanted people to think they were spiritual. They wanted the honor that went along with doing the spiritual thing that everyone around them does. However, the problem was, is they gave a false impression. Continue to read here. Um, they, uh, Ananias, he took this money. They essentially, imagine if it was $1,000 worth of money, I imagine equivalent-wise, it'd probably be much larger than that. I have no idea what the exact amount was. I think the scripture doesn't tell us on purpose. Let's say it was $1,000. Let's say they brought $600 out of that 1000 to the apostle and said, here's the money. Now, I don't think, at least it doesn't say that he said, here's all the money. But I think he knew that by taking that portion of the money and bringing it and saying, here's the money we sold such and such, and here's the money for it. I think that they knew by implication that people would think that it was all of the money. 
And so they came and they gave the impression that they were giving all when they really weren't. But Peter said, verse 3, Ananias, Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price? Evidently here it was land. Part of the price of the land. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And here there's several things that, that, uh, that, that Peter says that I find is really helpful. He's saying, listen, I believe in personal property. There was no obligation to give 100% of the proceeds of this to us. But why did you lie that you did give all? It would have been perfectly fine for Ananias to come and to say, hey, listen, we sold this for $1,000. We needed some of the funds for some of our own needs, but we decided to donate a majority of this money, maybe 60% to you all here. And so we're not giving all of it, but we're giving some of it because we want it to be a blessing. Why didn't he do that? Because he wanted people to think that he'd given all. Because he wanted the honor that came along with giving all. And Peter says, you liar. You liar. This is demonic. Giving the impression that you have given all when you've really only given part. See, Ananias and Sapphira wanted the honor of giving all, but evidently they didn't want to pay the price of actually giving all. So even though they gave the impression that they had sacrificed all, they really hadn't. See, the problem in their situation was not withholding a part of the price. It was lying about it. See, their deception was not just an offense against man in that they were deceptive horizontally. It was an offense against God. Why do I bring up this story? I bring up this story because you all are BCM students. You are the generation BCM students. And as we have our guests come this week, honestly, I think they're probably the impression that I think they're going to have of you and the impression that you could give is that you've got it all together. It's that you're totally surrendered. It's that you are the example that they ought to follow. And I know better. Um, th there is some contrast to the story to our situation here. Obviously, I think you see my point here. There is a major problem in making yourself appear like you've given all. Can I put it this way? There's a problem in making yourself sound like you're totally surrendered when you're not. It's a problem to make yourself seem like you have totally surrendered every part of your life, that you have given everything to the Lord Jesus, that your future is not your own, that it is His to determine. There is a problem in making people think that you're totally sold out to Jesus Christ, surrendered to his will, willing to wait on his timing, willing to step forward when he says so. It is 
a problem, a major problem, to give the impression that you have given all when you have not. The contrast is this. When it comes to Ananias and Sapphira, that which they sold and that which they were given, it actually was their own. The money, it was their own to do with as they saw fit. Uh, and Peter says that here in this text. Was it not thine own? In other words, you had the right, the right, you had the right to spend that money however you wanted to. You could give in uh, whatever ratio of that money uh, to the, the needy fund here in this area and kept whatever ratio you, you wanted to keep. But the problem was you gave a false impression about that ratio. Here's the difference when it comes to us. Our lives are not our own. You do not have the right to spend your life however you wish to spend it. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and ye are not your own? Listen, friends, I want you to know your discretionary time is not your own to spend. I want you to know it's not your sole choice on who you marry one day, so stop treating it like it is. Listen, young person, I want you to know that, that your weekend, your break, is not yours to decide. Your plan, and even when it comes to your degree program, it's not about what you want. It's not about what you're hoping to get out of your BCM experience. It's not about your plan, your will, your dreams. It's not about you at all. It's about him. And to be totally to say, I'm totally surrendered to Jesus. And yet to be unwilling to alter your course to do what God is telling you to do, even in your academic program. That's not total surrender. Listen, I know, listen, we've got all kinds of individuals facing all kinds of different situations. And so often it is so easy for us in, in, the, in the, um, the tunnel vision of the moment with whatever this issue is that we're looking at, all we can see is my rights. That's not right what they said to me. That's not right what they want me to do. And so often we can get, just get so focused in on what I want and what I think I have a right to wear, on who I think I have a right to communicate with and how I feel like I ought to be able to spend my time and my days. And when people come in or God comes in and interrupts your ideal weekend, or your ideal, whatever it might be. And when God comes and messes with your plans and you bristle and even at times rebel against the voice of God. Well, that's not total surrender. You know, um, I, I don't want this to be a downer in going into things here this coming week. Okay, that's not my purpose here this morning. But you know what would be a downer? To have a bunch of people who are putting on a mask that they're totally surrendered to Jesus because you know what? We got guests coming in. And those guests, I think there's a few in here. You can put your fingers in the ears for the rest of the sermon. I'm just messing with you, okay? It'd be that we have to perform up to a certain level or look a certain way or sound a certain spiritual temperature. I, listen, I, I felt this pressure before. I remember back when I was in Bible college. I didn't go to church here. I went to a little church in New Jersey. 
Shout out to New Jersey, right? Got a few here, yes. I went to a little church in New Jersey, and I remember I would come home. And when I would come home, I was coming home from Bible college. You know what I'm talking about? And so, you know, I'd come home and try to look the part and act the part and talk the part and, you know, maybe get into certain kinds of conversations with people just to show them I've been to Bible college and I know a whole lot more about the Bible than I did before. I never came across right. Because when you're trying to prove something that you're not, it never comes across right. When you're trying to act a part that isn't in accordance with reality, it always comes across a little bit wooden, a little bit fake. Have you ever met somebody who was given the impression that they were all spiritual, but you could tell they're... <laughs> you know, the sniff test didn't quite pass, and it's not because they ran out of deodorant. Um, I've been there. Oh, man, there have been times we've been on the road, and, you know, at a church, maybe it's a church member... Maybe it's a pastor, just to be honest with you. And, you know, they put on that pastoral air. Welcome! We're so glad you're here. Is there anything I can do for you? It's like, your intonations even sound fake. And it's like, I don't like those pastors with that pastoral air, and they just sound so smooth and so loving, you know? I'm sorry, be who you really are. I'm not saying you need to let it all hang out and be like, I'm cranky today. <laughs> no, 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 that's not the answer. I'm not saying that you ought to talk to your squad and say, now squad, listen, I want you to know, I just hate it here. <laughs> if that's what you think, you need to talk to your dean of choice. But anyway, I don't think that's what, honestly, I don't, what? I don't even know what I said. Your dean of choice. Anyway, I'm sorry. I have no idea what I just said. But anyway, you need to have a conversation with a spiritual mentor to help you with that is what I meant to say. Um, somebody fill me in later, okay? <laughs> I'm not saying that we need to be satisfied with our spiritual problems and our struggles. But I'm saying we shouldn't put on what we are not in reality. Because teenagers are really, really good at one thing, and that is smelling a fake. They're really good at it. And if they sense for the slightest moment that you're just putting it on, it's probably one of the biggest turnoffs that you could ever give. And listen, it's not about the college. It's not about that at all. It's about the cause of Jesus Christ. I don't know what people outside think about VCM students because I'm kind of on the inside. You know what I'm saying? But I think what some of them think is that it's a group of young people that are serious about serving God, who really want to love the Lord with all their hearts, who want to be totally surrendered to God. And you know, there's a big difference between wanting to be totally surrendered to God and being totally surrendered to God. And you know what? It's okay, I think, in some context and in some senses to be real about where you're at, to be real about, you know what? 
I got some things I'm grappling with right now, but you know what I want? I want to do what God wants me to do. And while there's no doubt about it, for the most spiritual person in this room, for the most surrendered person in this room, when God shows up and says, your son, your only son, or whatever the equivalent is of like that one thing, he's asking you to surrender. I don't care how long you've walked with God. I don't care how surrendered you are. There are at times moments, at the least, to sometimes years where we grapple with some of those things. But I think if we in our hearts have that core desire, I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to be surrendered to him. If we in our hearts have already decided ahead of time, I'm going to do what's right. Just give me a minute. (laughs) I think it'll come across right. Okay, here's the thing. The, The big danger that I'm concerned about is that their sin was not about giving partially. Their sin, at least the sin that brought judgment upon them, was lying about giving fully. And the solution here today, I don't think, because listen, the money was their own. They were free to do with it whatever they wanted to do with it. Our lives are not our own. We are not free to do with it whatever we want to. And that changes the equation a little bit. See, Ananias could have showed up, like I said, and said 60%. Here we go. And have just been honest. But listen, we can't show up and say 60%. We can't do that. We can't show up and say, hey, God, you know, I'll give you 95% of my life. But when it comes to finding my future mate, (laughs) I think I'll do a better job of that than you will. We've got to give absolutely all. See, the solution is not to say, you know what, I'm really struggling with surrender. It's not to walk around the lobby and as you meet people, hey, how are you? I'm struggling with surrender. No. The solution is before anybody even shows up. The solution is at the end of this chapel hour. What it is that maybe you are withholding. That thing which you have not been willing to let go. That area which has been a forbidden zone for God to touch. That area where you've kept back a part of your life. That needs to be given over to the Lord. Maybe it's your reputation. One of the things we find in the context here is they were so idolizing their reputation and they were kind of trying to give themselves a bloop, 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 bloop. Okay, a little upgrade, a little level up to themselves. Okay, through this giving of this money, you can tell these folks were consumed with their reputation and what everyone else thought about them. Maybe you need to die to your reputation and say, you know what, God? I'm going to stop living my life bound by what other people think about me. It's so freeing when you can stop caring about what people think. I don't mean that in like a negative fleshly sense, okay? I don't mean like walk into Pastor Swanson's office and say, Pastor Swanson, I don't care what you think about my pant legs. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about, okay? But I'm talking about the freedom of not being constantly looking over your shoulder, worried about what people think, the freedom of not feeling like you are constantly trying to live up 
to a certain unattainable standard, the freedom of really not being constrained by the fear of man. Um, I, I don't know, I wasn't planning on saying this, but this summer, okay, I've learned something. I learned something over the last six months. People think I'm intimidating. I think I already talked about this earlier on in the semester, okay? Um, some people think I'm intimidating, and I'm trying not to counterbalance that too much, okay? And I'm trying not to care about that also, right? Because I just preached about that. But in the same sense, I've also recognized that I can sometimes bring fear into people. And I, listen, if you are fearing me, you are not understanding me, okay? <laughs> it's just the truth. Um, but this past summer, did I mention this? I don't think I mentioned this in a chapel time earlier in the year. If I did, sorry, I'm just going senile. Um, earlier in the summer, obviously when I travel and do the Cola Clash and the war, which by the way, if you're interested in traveling, come talk to me sometime. I would be interested in you traveling at some point. Um, but uh, this past summer, you know, a part of the process is to give correction. And not like, that was dumb, don't do that again. But no, after every war night, we would sit down and we would say, okay, Ryan, I need a little bit more enthusiasm. No, he did great. Um, every night we would sit down and say, okay, this was a little funny in the grand entrance, or hey, listen, we weren't really getting the teens involved as much as we should have here in this area, or hey, we forgot this thing. I can't believe it, we forgot this. And we sit down and we just talk through these matters because we want to get better. We want to grow. We want to do the Cola Clash excellency, excellently for the sake of reaching people with the gospel. However, um, my team this summer, uh, they began to get kind of bound and twisted up throughout the whole night like, oh no, did I not have enough enthusiasm in my cheering? Or, oh no, the teens aren't getting into it enough. What's Mr. Bosler going to say in our debriefing time afterwards? And they began to get just so bound by what I thought that actually it was ruining the whole experience for them and the teens. Because the whole time they were like, you know, one, two, three, go Coke. <laughs> and I don't know, teens just don't enjoy that kind of a thing, okay? You know, they thought it was a part of the cheer. One, two, three, go Coke. <laughs> this is a slight exaggeration, okay? I remember we were in Brogue, Pennsylvania. We were sitting down in their outbuilding where we were doing the Cola Clash. And I remember as we were talking, I don't remember exactly how it came out, but I looked at the team and I said, team, are you afraid of me? And they all looked at me and went. <laughs> I thought, no, 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 this is not going to work. And I said, team, you gotta stop. You gotta stop caring about what I think. Listen, we're gonna give some input, we're gonna give some correction, we're gonna give some instruction, but please stop caring so much. Stop being bound by what I think and just serve. We can get so concerned about how people are viewing us, about our reputation, that we actually get faker because our very concern for our perception makes us put on a glitzier mask. Um, 
couple things here. This week, be authentic but not fake. Don't necessarily hide the battles of surrender that you've faced in your past. But in the same sense, um, well, let me put it to you this way. Your testimony is as powerful as it is candid. Did you get that? Personally, when it comes to a testimony, I value candidness. I'm not saying, listen, don't air your dirty laundry, please. Don't bring out stuff that are ongoing matters of defeat. Okay, each one of you could have an opportunity just to share. Here's what God's doing in my life. Man, God's changed my life over the last couple of weeks. Man, Annette Castro just saw 56 young people saved. It was so exciting. If all you say is that, guess what? They think, oh, I don't even think I'm, I could ever do that. But if you take even that very same testimony and say, man, you know what? I was trained for netcasters and they told us we'd actually go out and talk to people about Jesus Christ and I was scared to death. I was afraid that the knocking of my knees on the doorstep would overpower the words that I was trying to say and they wouldn't hear that. They'd just be like, what's wrong with your knees under your dress? Okay. <laughs> to be honest about the reality of your past struggles, but then highlighting the victories that God gave adds power to your authenticity. Um, this, this is going to sound funny. I, I, again, this is not where any of you young people are at, but I've got four children, okay? And raising children is a three-ring circus. It is. And, um, you know, being around here sometimes, you look around and you see everybody else with their children, and it's easy to look around and think, Everybody else has their children under control. What's wrong with us? Um, and I cannot tell you how encouraging it is to hear of staff and deacon families who occasionally, okay, maybe regularly, have their own chaos. <laughs> And, you know, there's something about <clears throat> just seeing people and they've, they, you know, everybody comes to church and everybody's just perfectly dressed and they're just all walking in perfect single file. You know, you look at them and you think, do they ever get cranky? Like their kids, maybe the dad too. Um, but, you know, do they ever have issues in their home? And when somebody seems so perfect and you are not it seems like we must be cut out of two different bolts of cloth. But when you see somebody who, in a moment of candidness and genuineness, there have been some staff ladies my wife has talked to, and they've even just shared, you know, oh, this morning was so chaotic, so-and-so did this, and so-and-so, you know, after I got them dressed for Sunday church, you know, got in the toilet or whatever the story is, you know, and it's like, oh, their kids do that too. We're not too far off the beaten path. Praise the Lord. And, you know, a couple years ago, I gave a testimony about even some of my own struggles in high school and even college and even after college in a, in a narrow setting to some of the young men. And I had several young men come up to me afterwards and say, you have no idea how encouraging it was for you to share how you struggled, but how God gave you victory. See, your past struggles can give hope to those who are struggling now. If you pretend like those struggles never happened, you take away that which could give hope to someone who's struggling at this moment. You don't need to divulge more than is helpful in your story, 
You don't want the shock value of some things to distract. Um, but let me just say this here in, in closing. Listen, you need to be totally, going into this week, how can you be, be best equipped to be a blessing to these young people? Be totally surrendered. Not partially.